Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. Keep telling me I'm not right 
But that's alright Cause I hear a voice And it calls me redeemed When others say I'll never be enough And greater is the one Living inside of me Than he who is living in the world In the world In the world And greater is the one Let's pray together. God, you are so good to us. You've provided everything we need. We thank you for the, the promise in scripture that, that Jesus gave, that when he returned to the Father, he would not leave us alone, but would provide the Spirit. And we know, Lord, that you are with us right now. You are in us, you provide the strength that we need. And greater is he that is living in me. Father, we thank you for the confidence that can only come from you. The Bible says because of the blood of Jesus, we can approach your throne with boldness and with confidence. The Bible says that we are your children. Lord, would you help us make the most of this opportunity to worship you right now? Every single person in this room, Lord, I pray that we would draw nearer to you right now. In the morning when I rise, in the morning 
When I rise in the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And when I am alone, oh, when I am alone, oh, and when I am alone, give me Jesus, give me It's World Series time right now, and if you didn't know that, um, that's not surprising because, you know, none of us care about the teams that are in it. Um, But uh, the people who are in the World Series right now are the Houston Astros and the Atlanta Braves. And last night, the Braves took a 3-1 to lead in that series, so they only need one more win, and then they are world champions. Now, here's what's kind of transpired, though. Because of that, um, in in our country... um, The Houston Astros are kind of the team that everybody loves to hate, and there's a reason for that, because a few years ago, the the Houston Astros um, broke the rules, okay? They they cheated. They stole signs uh, that that you're you're not supposed to steal so that they could help their batters, they could help their base runners, all those kinds of things, and and, and these aren't necessarily rules that are... um, in the first run of rules that you hear about for baseball, but they're kind of the unwritten rules that are there, and and the, the Astros cheated. And so because of that... It has changed people's perception of them. And so in a poll that was taken of people who were actually watching the World Series, there was kind of an insight taken from all over the country in the way that people were viewing the World Series. And it, it kind of showed up like this, that, that the world looks like this. These are the Braves fans. And then these are the Astros fans right here. So that's just kind of how it, it plays out. Because it turns out that um, the, the rules of baseball are sacred and when you break the rules, okay, written and unwritten, it matters. 
And people get really bent out of shape because of, of how specific the rules of baseball are. Now that's baseball. T-ball is not the same thing, okay? T-ball just looks like baseball. They dress all the kids up in baseball uniforms. They send them out onto a field that looks like a baseball field. And that's it, okay? Nothing is the same after that. Uh, everyone on the team, let me just give you some of the, for instance, on, on T-ball, in case you're not aware or you haven't had a son or a daughter or a grandson or granddaughter that have played T-ball. Here's, if that's coming for you, here's what it's going to look like. Everybody on the team gets to bat in every inning, no matter how many outs are recorded, okay? They just keep sending out. There could be 25 people on your team. They're going to send all of them to the plate in one inning. For an entire hour's worth of t-ball, you might get through two innings. It's just the way it works. And when I say come to the plate and bat, even if they don't hit the ball, okay, the ball is stationary on top of a tee. Granted, they're five-year-olds. They have a bat in their hand. It's not a heavy bat. All they have to do is make contact. There are times when they don't. Even if they don't, they still get to run to first, okay? They still get to get on base. And one time in every game, there's going to be one of those little guys that are up there, and they hit the ball, and they run to third, okay? Because they don't know which way they're supposed to go, and so they run to third, and we're okay with that. Okay, that's perfectly fine. Or they overrun second and just, like, head out into left field. They just wander. They maybe see a friend that's playing left field on the other team. They sit, they sit down in the grass, have a conversation, and that's okay. And if you're a parent going to t-ball to compete and to keep score, you have come to the wrong game because that is not how t-ball is played. It is organized chaos, and everything is okay in t-ball. You want to sit down on second base when you're playing shortstop and just sit out the gate? That's perfectly fine. You want to chase a butterfly in center field? Go for it. We'll call you in when it's your time to bat. It's all good. You want to round first base? Cut across the pitcher's mound to third? We're good with that. We'll cheer you on as you make your way across the infield. We're excited that you're having a good time. And I get it. It's cute. It's fun. But it strikes me as, as a little bit funny. Actually, it's more than that. It's hilarious that our introduction to our kids of the most rule-intensive sport we will ever play is to dress them up like baseball players, put them on a baseball field, and then tell them, do whatever you want. But that picture right there is the picture of the world we live in. We may look like the world that we used to live in. But we have basically said to everybody, do whatever you want. And it's cute when you're five years old. But it is something very different in our world and in our culture. If you wander off the base path, that's okay. If you want to ignore all the rules, you want to ignore the standards, you want to ignore the expectations, you want to ignore the code, you want to invent your own version and your own truth, go for it. We just want you to have a good time. And it looks a lot like what Paul was describing, the Apostle Paul, to a young preacher named Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. He said this, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And they will reject the truth and chase after myths. That time is now. We are living in that world right now. And we've been talking about that over the last few weeks when it comes to how we navigate faith and how we navigate the world of tolerance and right and wrong. The, the, the truth is that we all start off dressed the same way and walking onto what we think is the exact same field. But some people run to first 
and then just head off into the outfield. And some people run to first and they cut hard to the left and jump across the pitcher's mound and head to third. And some people get to first and they just take a right and head back, right back into the dugout. And, and what our culture says is that we have to be okay with all of that because they're making up their own rules and they're kind of inventing their own truth and whatever truth they come up with is okay because it's their truth and it's their reality. And that's the culture that we've kind of been unpacking in this series. We can decide that there's one truth and that, that, that there are really one set of rules for everyone to live by and we all live by the same set of rules or we can decide that there is no truth and we can kind of... Um, deconstruct truth until there are no absolutes and there are no rules and there are no standards to live by. And when we follow the myths and the lies and the scary stories that our culture wants to teach us, there is a progression that we go through. And the progression is actually what we've been talking about for the past three weeks. It starts off with us deciding that there is no God and that God is just within you that God is there just directing you and that if you believe that you are your own God and that you can kind of follow yourself, then that leads us to the place where we just follow our heart. And whatever you feel and however, whatever feels good, just do that. Chase after that. If it, if it feels good in your heart, just follow your heart. And if that's how you're gonna live and that's kind of how you're gonna approach things, you'll eventually get to the concluding story for today. Because the statement that, that comes up is basically this. What's true for you isn't true for me. You can have your truth and then I'll have my truth and we just both have to be okay with each other. We just have to agree to disagree and we'll just move on because your truth can be very real and truthful to you but my truth is very real and truthful to me and we just can't offend each other. Frederick Nietzsche said this. You have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, the correct way, and the only way, it does not exist. That kind of attitude and that kind of statement is exactly what Paul was describing and warning young Timothy about. And Paul had lived it out. Paul had been into the world and had seen the different cultures that were starting to kind of rise up or had been rising up for quite some time. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago about him going to Athens and when he got to Athens, he saw all the, the gods that were part of that particular culture and he even found an altar to an unknown God. And so he decided that if he was going to tell people about the one true God, he could start right there. But then Paul stepped into a completely different culture and he got to the, the city of Ephesus and in the city of Ephesus, it was a very different kind of melting pot of religions. Ephesus had uh, ideas and thoughts coming in from all over the world and had all kinds of competing uh, witchcraft and uh, black magic and, and spirituality that was flowing all through Ephesus. Ephesus had kind of a central worship that was part of the city as well. That central worship circled around the goddess Artemis. The goddess Artemis was the centerpiece for a lot of the spirituality that was happening in town. and it, So much so that they built this temple to Artemis in Ephesus. And it was an enormous temple. If you know the size of the Parthenon in, in Athens, and maybe even the replica that if you've been to down in Nashville, it, it dwarfed the size of that temple, this temple to Artemis. It's considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple to the goddess Artemis that was in Ephesus. It was so much a part of the culture that people around the world had heard about the goddess Artemis being worshipped in Ephesus. And it had become such a big deal that some of the silversmiths in town in Ephesus had figured out how to monetize that worship that was going on. And so they had figured out that they could make these little replica statues, little silver statues that looked like the ones of, of the goddess Artemis that were inside the temple. And they could build these little silver statues and sell them to people. Some for the people in Ephesus just to have inside uh, their homes, but then also for those people who were traveling through Ephesus to have something to take home with them to prove that they'd been to Ephesus, that they'd seen this incredible place and all the festivals and celebrations that went on to the goddess Artemis. And so all of these little silver statues were being sold all over town, which is where the conflict really happened for Paul. 
If you've got your Bible with you, I'd love for you to turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Okay, you've got a phone, you've got a tablet that has a Bible app on it, use that. Acts chapter 19, and as you do that, um, this may be a story that you've not heard before. This may be something that you didn't even know was in there. But in Acts chapter 19, we see Paul preaching like Paul preached every place he went. And the things that Paul preached about, he preached about um, repentance, and he preached about sin, he preached about grace, he preached about forgiveness, and people started leaning into all of Paul's preaching. And in addition to his preaching, and maybe it happened in other places, but it's recorded for us really more completely in Ephesus than in any other town that Paul had been to. There were miracles that started to happen um, through Paul, and Paul was healing people in Ephesus, and he was doing it all in the name of Jesus. And as he did that, there were people who started to believe. People in Ephesus who started to believe that Jesus is real. And that Jesus, what he claimed and what he did is true. And because they started to believe, they had a question that they were struggling with. The question was something like, if Jesus is true, then what do we do with all of our other religions? Because see, they understood that Jesus was kind of all-encompassing, and you couldn't just add Jesus in to everything else that you believed. And so their question was, what do we do with all of our scrolls that we have that we, that we usually kind of do our sorcery through? What, what do we do with these books of incantations that we normally just say out loud in an effort to follow this other false religion or this other witchcraft that we're a part of? What do we do with these little silver statues that we have all over the house that are to the goddess Artemis? If Jesus is real, all of that's not. And so here's what their response was. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. And the value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Now, just so we're not confused, this was not um, a 50s, 60s, or 70s book burning that was taking place. This was not, hey, there's some books in our library that we're concerned are going to mislead our children, so we need to get rid of them by burning those books. No, these, these were people's actual possessions, these were their scrolls. These were their books of incantation. These were their uh, tools of the sorcery and the witchcraft that they were participating in. And they were getting rid of them. They were burning them up because they had the understanding that if you follow Jesus and Jesus is real and Jesus is true, then nothing else that we are following and have been following can be. And in essence, what was taking place there was a declaration of repentance. That we're gonna get rid of these lies and we're gonna get rid of these myths and we're gonna get rid of these unrealities out of our life so that we can follow the truth. And there in Ephesus, there was a silversmith who very quickly figured out that if all these people are getting rid of these things, then Jesus is bad for business. And so he called a union meeting. When he got all the silversmiths together, he said this, gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods don't, aren't really gods at all. How could he say such a crazy thing as that? And then to kind of um, show the sincerity behind all of this, he said, and he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. It's bigger than that. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence. And that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. And then as he kind of stirred up all of these folks, they... They grabbed some of the people that were on the missionary journey with Paul and they, they dragged them into the theater. And again, just for clarity's sake, this is not like a movie theater that they brought them into. The theater in Ephesus seated like 25,000 people. And they filled the theater with people who were stirred up into 
action and volume and riot. Verse 32 actually says this. It says, inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. But the Bible tells us that this volume and this yelling and this screaming and this confusion went on for two hours as they were basically trying to scare Jesus out of Ephesus. Now, there were lots of religions in Ephesus. There were lots of other beliefs and lots of other insights on on reality that people had been chasing that were all fantasy, but they had all kind of gotten along. What was the problem with Jesus? Well, you see, Jesus couldn't be worked in to the mythology. Jesus couldn't be worked into the, the magic arts or, or, or the, the, the dark world of religions that were going on there in Ephesus. They, they couldn't figure out a way to just kind of add him in to everything else that they believed. That's actually still the problem today. See, the scary stories that our culture keeps telling and the lies that keep being spread into our world and into our society. And just, I want to be clear again, I'm not talking about um, left and right coast stuff. I'm not talking about big city stuff. I'm talking about our community right here. And the lies that get told into our culture and into our community are still in conflict with Jesus as truth. And what we're left with is this battle that goes on where it's fantasy versus reality. And it's lies versus truth. And fantasy, when it moves beyond the cuteness of a t-ball field, becomes very dangerous. Because one lie requires another lie, requires another lie, requires another lie, so that we can keep the first lie alive. And when you chase fantasy into the outfield, you end up doing things that you never thought you would do because you're chasing after a lie. And you end up going places that you never thought you would go because you're chasing after a lie. And you end up being with people that you never thought you would be with. And you even get to a place where you reject truth that you never thought you would reject because you're chasing after a lie. British journalist Antonio Sr. wrote an article for the Times and, uh, there in Britain, and, and this article that she wrote, just so we can get some clarity on the article without having to read the whole article, was an article that was um, pro-abortion. And as she wrote this article, she wrote it after her own experience with pregnancy and birth. And she said this, She said, my daughter was formed at conception. Any other conclusion is a convenient lie that we on the pro-choice side of the debate tell ourselves to make us feel better about the action of taking a life. Yes, abortion is killing, but it's the lesser evil. The point that she was making in the article is that women have rights and women have dreams and women have goals. And they should have every right to chase after their dreams and chase after their goals. And if a pregnancy is threatening to derail what they want to do, and is threatening to derail the life that they wanted to lead and the dreams that they wanted to chase after, then they should be willing and and able to get rid of whatever is in the way so that they can chase after their dream. And she actually had the guts to put in print these words to conclude her article you must be prepared to kill. When everyone is right and there is no truth and there are no standards and there is no absolute, lies become necessary 
to get to what we want. Lies become necessary for us to live the way we want to live. And just like in Ephesus, we, we really can't work Jesus into a truth where we get to do everything we want to do. Everything that our flesh is craving for and desiring. And so what we're left with is a culture that has concluded that you can't fit Jesus into the myths and the lies that we want to listen to and that we want to follow, and so we have to eliminate Jesus from the story. But Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says this about Jesus. It says, and he, that's Jesus, is before all things. And in him, that's Jesus, all things hold together. He is before all things. He holds all things together. But when we reject truth, and we, when we want to try and eliminate Jesus, when we abandon our standards and his standards, things start to fall apart at the seam, and chaos ensues. Because when we turn away from truth and we wander into myths, it's not cute and harmless anymore. The myths that our world's chasing right now, the myths that our our world is wandering into have led to massacres. The greatest massacres that have happened in our history have happened when people have started, instead of embracing truth, to wander after myths and stories and lies. And it happened when people followed their heart instead of leading their heart towards the truth, instead of leading their heart towards Jesus, they just decided to follow their heart wherever their heart wanted to go. And this isn't just a a conversation from a global scale. This, This is personal, this is individual. When marriages fall apart, when children rebel, when enemies lash out and attack each other, and when I say enemies, I mean people who used to be friends, but now because of something, they have become enemies. The reason that all of those things happen is because people have listened to lies. And people have chased after fantasy instead of reality. Ministry has some wonderful things attached to it, but as a minister, it means I have a front row seat to some of the worst things that people do. And let me restate that. I have a front row seat to people who listen to the worst lies that our culture tells. And they are lies that are part of our society, they are lies that are part of our community, and they are lies that have been seeded into us by the father of lies. And there are some in our culture who would like us to think that faith in Jesus, that they're just bedtime stories. They're just fairy tales. They're things that got told in the past when people weren't smart enough to think differently, and and now they need to be done away with. That's people trying to eliminate Jesus from the story. Nietzsche once said this, you can probably guess I'm not a big fan of his, but he said, faith is not wanting to know the truth. Hmm. I'm not sure that the first followers of Jesus would agree with that statement. Their faith was not based on myths or stories or lies or even things that somebody had told them were true. Peter, who was part of that group of first followers, said this. He said, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You break that down and what he's saying is, look, we, we didn't wander off into fantasy. We saw it. We saw it with our own eyes. They butchered him on a cross and we saw it. They tossed him into a tomb and we witnessed that. And when he came back to life three days later, we talked with him. 
and we touched him and we ate with him. If the first followers of Jesus made all of this up and created this whole story, what did they have to gain from that? Because we know how their lives ended. Through legend and through the Bible, we, we kind of know everyone's path and where it led, the conclusion for each one of them. Paul had his head cut off in Rome because of what he was an eyewitness to, what he believed in, what he sold and told as truth. Peter was crucified, upside down, perhaps next to his wife who was crucified with him. Stephen was stoned to death. James was put to death with the sword and the list of people who died because of Jesus goes on and on and on and on and on. The first followers of Jesus suffered excruciating deaths because of something that they knew to be true, because they saw it. They lived it. They didn't die for a myth. And if anybody knew for certain that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection were real things, it was these guys. And they spent the rest of their lives doing everything they could to lead more and more and more people to Jesus. And because of that, they were mocked, and they were beaten, and they were thrown in jail. They were separated from their family and separated from their friends. They gained no fame. They gained no money. They gained no power. They lost everything. Unless it's true. And if it's true, then they gained everything. That's what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, when he said, For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The first followers of Jesus believed that he was the king of everything. And that meant to them that it changed everything. Nothing was the same for them after they met Jesus. Their jobs changed, their finances changed, their parenting, their routines, their goals, their faith, their worship, all of those things changed because of Jesus. The way that they saw the world around them, the purpose that they had for their life changed. The way that they interacted with their friends and family changed. The way that they even interacted, maybe even more so with their enemies changed because they believed that Jesus was king. And not just king of their individual lives, but that he was king of all, that he was king of everything, that he was king of the universe. And they knew him as the truth. And because he was the truth, it changed everything. So let me wrap up today in this whole series with just a couple of words. If and then. And, and if you're here this morning and you're not sure what you think about all this, if you're here this morning and you're still trying to decide whether you believe this story is true or real or any, I'm so happy that you're here. Because if what Jesus claimed and did is true, then it does require something from each of us. Chris said it earlier, the things that Jesus said about himself and the stories that have been told about him are unlike anyone else in history. And if you currently don't acknowledge him as your Lord and your Savior, as the king of everything in your life, but you're sitting here starting to believe that this is true, then there is a response that needs to come from you. Because if it's true, it doesn't fit in with everything else. It is its own reality that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus did die on a cross, did get buried into a tomb, did rise again three days later, and did start the church, which we are now part of. And if you believe that is all true, then it, it requires a response because he's the authority of everything. And it's important to get in line behind the authority of everything. 
and to let his grace flood over your life and to let his forgiveness take care of your sin and to let him lead your life from this point forward because he is the king of all. If it's true, then there's a response necessary from you. Some of us have already taken that step. But if you really believe that Jesus is the king, and that when you say that he's the king, he's the king of everything, that absolutely every part of your life is something that he gets to lay claim to, because that's what it means when you turned your life over to him. And if he gets to lay claim to everything, here's what that means, that Jesus does not turn a blind eye to your bedroom. And Jesus does not turn a blind eye to your bank account. And it means that Jesus cares about your marriage. And that Jesus cares about your children. And it means that he cares about your waking hours and that he cares about your sleeping hours and and he cares about your ordinary, normal, everyday walking moments of life that you would forget. He cares about those too. There is no part of our lives that his death, burial, and resurrection don't touch. And if you believe that he is real and all that he said and all that he did is true, then that moment when you first believed changed everything and some of us have given up some ground back to the lies and the stories and the myths of our culture and it is time to reclaim them in the name of Jesus. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come out and as they do, these two words loom large for all of us. If it's true, then there is a response that comes from us. And if it's true, there may be decisions that we need to make today. If it's true and you've not accepted him as Lord and Savior, then today can be the day that you say yes to Jesus and, and, and you can even be baptized today and we can see more and more people make that incredible decision to follow Jesus as people have been doing for 2,000 years. Or maybe for some of us it is the recognition that we have lost some ground on all those things that Jesus has been king of and we have given over some things to our culture and we need to claim them back in his name. Or maybe you're here and you wanna be a part of this church as we're seeking to lean into his truth and his reality and we would love to have you with us. Whatever decision you have to make this morning, this can be a morning that you make that decision, that you follow Jesus with your whole life and give everything over to him. We have folks who will be here to talk with you and pray with you about those decisions, answer questions that you might have right up here in the front. And so we're gonna sing here in just a moment. And as we do, we invite you to come and make that decision. I'll meet you down here. But let's stand together. And one of the things that we may need to do right now because Jesus is in fact king of all and we believe that he is real and that he is truth is we worship and we celebrate him right now. If you have a decision to make, we invite you to come. May we worship and celebrate our king.
We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back again. We believe. So let our faith be more than anthems Greater than the songs we sing In our weakness and temptation Come on. 